0: Chapter three now. We're starting in chapter three today uh, in the book of Revelation. We have been going through our series, uh, The Seven Churches of Revelation. I know it's really, really unique, isn't it? That series title, The Seven Churches of Revelation. But that's what it is. It's it's uh, seven letters to seven churches from the Lord Jesus. And we've we looked at this as a report card, as and last week we talked about just the, the fact that we, we really do value what the Lord Jesus says. We value what what his opinion is. So as hard as it is. To hear a review from the Lord Jesus about your heart or my heart, as hard as that can be, as difficult as a place that puts us in, we should long for that. We should desire that. We should say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to listen, I'm going to to follow you, I'm going to repent if I need to repent, and I'm going to obey you because you are good, you are gracious, and you are the one that we want to give all of our allegiance to. You are worthy. So uh, we look at that as as a good thing. When Jesus speaks to us, we want to listen, we want to analyze, and we want to uh, repent and then obey. Um, we looked through several of the churches so far. We've looked through four. The, today is the fifth church, the church in Sardis, and we are calling this church the dead church. And in fact, we're not calling this church the dead church. The Lord Jesus calls this church the dead church. Uh, we started in Ephesus, and uh, we we're a- kind of answering some questions and, and seeing the way that Jesus knows us, right? We see that Jesus says, I know you. I know this about you, and it's really important for us to, uh, to look at. And, and what did he know about Ephesus? He said, I know what and who you love. This is the church where Jesus said, hey, you've lost your first love. You're doing great things, but you've lost your first love. There will be some similarities today to Sardis to that, but it's a little different. But Jesus knows, I know what and who you love. So for you and I, that's a challenge, right? That what we love and who we love is, is revealed to Jesus. Even though we might hide it from other people, he knows. He says also in Smyrna, the next church, he said, I know what you're willing to suffer for. That can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? All of this can be. I know what you're willing to suffer for. For those in Smyrna, there was no accusation. There's no, like, hey, you're doing a horrible job. He's like, I see you suffer. I see that the gospel is the most important thing to you and that you are willing to suffer for it. And he had a bunch of praise to offer them. The, the opposite is true of us, though. Maybe we aren't really willing to suffer much. Maybe when it gets hard or gets rainy or gets too hot or gets, you know, we move a time, it's like, I'm not really wanting to suffer. Maybe it's, I I don't want to speak up in my workplace or my school because when I say something about the Lord, people smirk at me and they kind of, they ostracize me or they cancel me. I don't want to suffer. Jesus knows what you are and what you are not willing to suffer for. Smyrna wanted to suffer for the Lord Jesus. They knew that he suffered for them, for the joy set before him, and that they, for the joy set before them, would also suffer for him. Then we had Pergamum. And Jesus said this, I know what you really believe. I know what you really believe. See, we can, we can pretend we believe something, but Jesus really knows what we believe. And, and if we really do believe it, if it's, even if it's difficult and it's hard to obey and hard to, hard to be in line with what God says, and, but we're doing the best we can, he can say, listen, I know. I know what you really believe. I know your heart is there. I know that, that down deep, and, and even as outwardly as you can, you're showing your love for me. I know what you believe. And, and there was a challenge to that church, though, right? Because they said, that you're kind of letting these this The serpent kind of slither in like a snake. There's groups of people who are believing something they shouldn't believe. And I know what they believe, and it's wrong, and you need to, to not allow that to take hold inside of your church. And it was really important that, that, that people who, who believe true and right things about the gospel would stand on that, would hold on that. And that, that escalated when we went to the church at Thyatira. Not only did he know what they, were, what they really believed, he knew, he says, I know what you're willing to tolerate. I know what you are willing to tolerate. That was a tough one last week. I don't know if it was for you, it was for me. It challenged me in many different ways. Me asking myself the question, what am I willing to tolerate? And, and when the world around me says, hey, you should be tolerant. It gets preached to us everywhere we are. It gets shoved down our throat that we should tolerate, tolerate, tolerate. And ultimately we're, we're called to tolerate sin in this world, by the world, Right? when Jesus comes along with his report card and says, no, do not tolerate that. You do not tolerate sin. So in this church in Thyatira, we saw that there was Jezebel, right, a woman who claimed to be a prophetess but was not, and was saying, hey, it's okay to to be immoral. It's okay to be idol worshipers. It's okay to be sexual, uh, sexually immoral or promiscuous. Go do it. Do whatever you want. Those taboos in culture, they're not taboos at all. We can join them in with our faith. Now, God was gracious, though, right? He he said, I gave her time to repent, and she did not. Therefore, anyone who does not repent will be like her and will be her child, not a child of the Spirit of God. It was a a stark contrast for you and I. You and I kind of sat on that precipice saying, if I am going to tolerate the world and allow that that teaching and that way of life to infiltrate not only my, my tolerances, but my life, then I'm aligning myself with Satan and the world instead of aligning myself with Jesus and his Spirit. And, and so there's a real sense that we need to say, I, I need to not be on the fence here, but I need to take a stand and not tolerate. And, and, and really deeply, I think it, it has affected us across the board in culture. We talk about sexual promiscuity, and we talked about last week, identity, right? The, that the people in the world take the hows they are and make it whose they are, right? It's like, this is how I am, so this must be who I am. And that's not what Jesus said at all. Jesus said, in fact, all of us are sinful and separated from Him, and we all need to be reborn, Right? We all need to die to ourselves and rise in, in, like, in the likeness of Christ. That we need to be found in Christ, and that becomes our identity. Our identity is not male or female, although he created us male and female. Our identity is not in our sexuality, although he created sexuality and created it for one man and one woman to share within the confines and covenant of marriage. We don't tolerate things outside of that. We talked about identity of, 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 of an individual, right? The idea of, of the cells, the clump of cells within a, a pregnant woman's uterus. Well, it's just a clump of cells. No, in God's eyes, that's a human being. That's a life, a human being. And, and the mother, by the way, has, is a life as well. Right? So there needs to be two lives taken care of and nurtured well. We, we don't tolerate what comes in, but it could be how we tolerate uh, working with money and doing our business dealings with people. Could could be how we tolerate uh, what we speak or how we say things or, or the language we use or the jokes we share. Could, could be what we tolerate letting come in from TV or from uh, our media sources, right, or what we read or listen to in music. There's all kinds. It's a broad spectrum of idol, idolatry and immorality and sexual immorality. It's, it goes wide, and Jesus says, repent and know. I know what you're willing to tolerate. I don't want to be that one where he, where he has to continually chastise. Brandon, stop tolerating this. Now, it doesn't mean we don't love people. It doesn't mean we don't serve people and have compassion on people and give grace to people but it means we do not participate and we do not tolerate sin and we give grace i read something this week that really helped me form this and i know i'm taking a little time on this last week's church this this pastor had had given a, um, a sermon and had an excerpt from this this time or, or you know, it was a podcast and he was talking about grace and he talked about the idea of like you know people just think we need to give grace everywhere, and what, and what grace looks like is, like, J- Jesus is just chill. He's, you think he used the word gravy. Like, it's just, everything's gravy. It's okay. Like, like what we're saying is, it's it just let people do their thing. Jesus' love wins. Grace wins, right? And, and the, the challenge to that comment was, and in that, in that time was, and to you and I, because we, we kind of like, yeah, we can just let people do their thing and, and, don't, and not really speak against, not really, you know, let's, let's be for something. Well, we were for Jesus, But do you understand what grace is? Grace came to you and grace came to me when everything was not gravy. The only reason grace is grace is it's unmerited gift. It's it's God giving us something we didn't deserve. That means something was on the table that we have done wrong against him and we deserve something different. See, when we say, hey, there's no, it's not sin, let's not call it sin, let's not call it wrong, let's not get in people's face, then there's nothing to be wrong about. Why would somebody need grace for something they're not wrong about? The answer is they do not. And you do not. And I do not. But God gives us grace. Even while we were still sinners, yet Christ died for us. That's so important for us to understand. We we need to be gracious people. Grace does not mean you and I being passive and being like, oh, I just overlooked that and no big deal. That's not grace. Grace says, that's a big deal, but God loves you. That's a big sin, but God can forgive. Come find grace with Jesus. He said, I know what you're willing to tolerate. And today, we look at the church in Sardis. And he says, I know the reality of your spiritual condition. I know the reality of your spiritual condition. I know what's really going on spiritually in your heart. And you say, well, don't you, haven't you already said that? Well, kind of, yes. We're going to see something at a whole nother level today. You think Thyatira was bad. You think Pergamum was kind of roughed up. This, this one has got me reeling pretty hard this week too, and uh, even today. So we're going to pray and we're going to read Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Let's pray. God, we desire your spirit to be in and amongst us. God, we know that that you have given us your spirit to to teach us and God, to grow us up and mature us as believers in Christ. So we yield to you, Lord. I I want more of you and less of me as I speak. God, may the words that come today be yours for us and they're truth because they're from your word and and by your spirit. God, open our hearts and minds to be receptive. Help us to really look at our own heart and to see the condition that it's in. We wanna be guided by you. want to look more like you so we pray to you and we pray in jesus name amen all right revelation chapter three back here in the back there we go verses one through six write to the angel of the church in sardis thus says the one who has the seven spirits of god and the seven stars i know your works you have a reputation for being alive But you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will have no idea at what hour I come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy in the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the Word of God. So let's talk about Sardis. Sardis was a junction city. It was, it was a city where five main roads came in and, and, and met Um, It was a center of trade, a cultural center, right? There was obviously trade going on there if so many different people met there. It was a military center as well, and uh, it was located on a massive plateau. So you had Sardis General, like the lower city, and then you had the citadel of Sardis like 1,500 feet above that. This was, and we'll see this later on how it plays in, but this was like the citadel was like an impenetrable fortress. It was considered by most to be the most defensive location ever. So there's no one was getting in there. Right? And do you know what happens when we get overconfident? Yeah, we'll see that in a few minutes. So this is, this is Sardis. So when the city would be evacuated, if they were going through the citadel, they were safe. Even if someone came and was able to get in through these 12-meter-thick walls around the main city, the, the citadel was like, you gotta, there's one way up, and you've got to scale 1,000-foot cliffs. What are you thinking about, about doing? Well, the enemy was thinking about scaling those cliffs, and they did. So this is Sardis. Sardis was um, a bustling center it was, it was also a center known for its industry of cloth and making clothing. So when the Lord Jesus talks about how you're going to be clothed, he's speaking to those in Sardis in a language they would understand as well. So that's Sardis. That's so, um, and today it's kind of different. It's out of order how normally we would see it. We'd see an approval usually, like, hey, I know how awesome you are. Way to go. Well done. Jesus would start with the good, right? Then he'd say, well, here's the bad, and here's how to get better. Today he just lays right into it. So today we start, number one, with the accusation the accusation against Sardis, and this is it. You are spiritually dead. You are spiritually dead. Look how he starts this letter. Write to the angel of the church of Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive. Now think about this. You're in this church. You're sitting there listening. Okay, the the, the letter, it's coming. He's going to read it. He's going to read it. And it's powerful majesty. You think about the seven spirits of God. And it's like, wow, yeah, we know this is going to be great. So I, you, you have a reputation for being alive. And everyone's like, yeah, we're doing good. High five. And then what does he say? But you are dead. You are dead. This is that instance where, like, you didn't have any acute pain or symptoms. But you're like, I'm going to go in for a checkup. I haven't been there for years. No big deal. I'm going to go in. And I know I'm an, it's, I'm an all-star, right? And you're there. The doctor does a checkup. You do the blood work. You get whatever scans you need to scan. And the doctor comes back in and says, you've got like a month and you're dead, right? We, we, we set ourselves up and fool ourselves, don't we? It's, it's interesting. This, this church has a reputation. They, their works are there. They're, they have a name in the community, but they are dead. I thought about that right away as I read this, I started studying this. We, we have I I don't think our church is dead, by the way, but we have, a, we have a wonderful church. We have lots of works. We have a name and a reputation within our community. And as I, I started reading that, I'm like, uh-oh, is Jesus going to be saying, but you're dead? Right? And certainly he can say that to a church, but you and I also as individuals need to look at this too, right? And say, what, what is he saying about my heart? Because he's saying, I know the reality of your spiritual condition. I know what's going on right here. You might show off or, or think you're good or, or have a, a great reputation, but you are dead. Let's talk about, really, as he writes this, he says, Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and, and the seven stars. The seven stars he's talking about are the, the, the pastor's lights or the apostles that came before, the ones that would be ahead of these churches, right? And so uh, then the, the seven spirits. There's a, in Revelation 5, talks about this. He says, He had seven horns describing this imagery. And seven eyes, uh, which are the seven spirits of God sent into the earth. That's kind of interesting. What does that mean? Well, coming from Isaiah 11, there's a prophecy here about Jesus. He says, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, Jesse, right? So out of the the line, the tree, the trunk of Jesse uh, will come Jesus, right? The Messiah. And a branch from its roots will bear fruit. Then verse 2 of chapter 11 says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It's the only place I can see the seven spirits of the Lord all in one spot. This is what commentators went to. So so what does that mean? I I don't know. There's a lot to it, right? You can can break that down and see how strong and powerful and amazing the Holy Spirit of God is. But Jesus is saying, uh, I'm the one who has the seven spirits of God. I'm the one who, who has that. That occupies me. So this description of the one who... Possesses the sevenfold Spirit of God would one show his righteousness and his judgment, his ability to be full and complete and completely true when he speaks. The other part part of this in this introduction, it's a reminder of of to the Church of Sardis what they were missing. That's that's pretty strong, isn't it? You come to a church, hey, listen, you're working, you look how amazing you look and the reputation you have, it looks great, but you're dead. What were they missing? They were missing the Spirit of God. It's what they lacked. They lacked the Spirit of God working in them and among their leadership. And without the Spirit of God, what? They were dead. They were dead. Without the Spirit of God, they were dead. So it begs the question, why would they have been thought to have been alive? Why why would they have had a reputation for being alive? This is a question you should write down. I have a reputation for being alive? Hopefully you do. And why? Like what is living in my reputation? So what showed in theirs? Maybe it was because of their many activities. Maybe they had all kinds of activities and they got together and it looked like they were just vibrant in that. Maybe they had uh, lots going on in the church, right? They had the church calendar full, not only in their own personal lives, but the church calendar was full. Maybe they were just in the routine like like, hey hey, we have been an established church we've been doing it this way since the eons before we're going to continue just to do this and do this it's hey it's the way we've always done it and it's worked for us so we'll do that you know what happens to churches that say that they die they die and this isn't about like oh we need the rock and roll music in the the church to get the young people in no we need the word of god in the church we need the traditions of man to be set aside for God's Spirit to work in and among and through the giftings of God's people. That's what needs to happen in church. And, and that needs to be vibrant and ever-changing and growing and ever-yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. No, when we say, hey, we're just going to live out these traditions, we'll, we'll, it's how we've always done it. We, we come in, we know what we do, we know how we do it, we, we like it that way. We are on the path of decay and death we will ultimately die because there's no vibrance coming out. There's no spirit coming out of us through the gifting of the people to serve one another in love. So maybe they just got familiar and consistent. Routine. You ever do that? I mean, I, I, I've told you this before. Like when you're driving, it's all like going home is all a routine, right? Or going to work is all a routine. Like I was driving to go to a baseball game because I was coaching this year and it kind of interrupted my routine because I didn't usually drive to the baseball field. So i'm just driving and i find myself driving down to solano's like wait why am i going because i go to solano's a lot to get hardware right so i'm like i I ended up just driving out of like my kids are like where are you going i'm like oh baseball or going home i i I might be i when i'm driving down this road i turn to go home I, i if i don't think about where i'm going if i'm not going home i'll turn to go home anyway it just happens that way it's natural what we get into routine and consistency. Maybe, maybe you're like me too. Like, there's been times where you've come to church that way. like It could be six weeks later. I've been to church for six weeks. And you're like, I don't even remember those six weeks. I remember Saturday night. I set an alarm. I thought about what I was going to wear. I got up on Sunday morning. I did got my coffee. got the kids breakfast. And we came to church and went home. And there was just, just routine. And there was no life, no vibrance, no vitality in that. And, and I, I'm, I'm convicted by that. It's challenging, right, to think, All I'm doing is is just going through the motions. And that's what the church in Sardis was doing. They were were just going through the motions. They kept doing what they've always done. That's not what we're to do. Not what we've always done. So Sardis had this, this apathy and this overconfidence. And see, that's what led them to their collapse. At the time of this writing, Sardis was not the brilliant city it once was. Why? Because they were a city on a hill that was indefensible. No one's going to break through in Sardis. No one's going to come and tear our walls down. No one's going to invade us and attack us and win. They said that. And they got lazy and apathetic. The sentries weren't doing their job well. They were just focusing on one area. And what happened? The enemy scaled the walls around Sardis and defeated them. Twice. Twice. You see what apathy does? When we get apathetic, when we get comfortable, we get in routine, like, oh, no big deal, no big deal, the guard comes down. Listen, gentlemen, this happens in your families. You're like, oh, I've, I've, I led well, and it's, we're, on, we're on cruise control now. Don't be on cruise control. Don't do it. It's, it's almost like those new cars that have more than just cruise control. What is it called? They just take the hands off the wheel? It's called stupid, right? The ones that, like, oh, they'll drive for you. Self-driving vehicle. Oh, man, maybe one day, but not this day. Not Don't let your family be a self-driving vehicle. Don't let your marriage be a self-driving vehicle. Don't let your, your parenting be a self-driving vehicle. Don't let your relationships with people and each other, don't let your relationship to the church, don't let your relationship with God be a self-driving vehicle. That's how you die. That's how you die. Sardis was overconfident. They're apathetic. Oh, this, we're in self-driving mode, no big deal. This was not the Sardis it once was, right? So w- what do we do, right? What are the, what are the symptoms, of, first of all, for us, for a church? We, we, th- we say they're apathetic. We say they're maybe going through the motions. What are those symptoms looking, looking like for us? Well, we become spiritually sleepy, spiritually sleepy. We're, we get to church, and we're actually yawning in the pews. We're tired. Like, we're not hungry, right? We're apathetic, right? When we hear, we hear the Word of God preached or taught, our minds are kind of elsewhere. We're thinking about what's next in the game. Or now you're thinking about self-driving cars and how you can get one. Right? We just go somewhere else. Or you're spiritually weak. Right? You're settled into a routine. You're settled into just doing enough to get by. Like, I'll just cruise. We're just cruising. And it it really is as though you've lost your appetite. Let me give you the appetite analogy here. I thought of this earlier. Um, Thanksgiving Day. How great is Thanksgiving Day, right? It's so, so wonderful. How great is Thanksgiving dessert? It's better, but it's better the next day. You, you know why? Because by the time we get to dessert on Thanksgiving Day, we're like, oh my gosh, I can't even move to get this. Oh, this pie looks good. And we shove it in our face. Still, Yeah, yeah, you, you're pretending it's, it's good. It's way better the next day or the day after, like, like when, you're, when you're done. But you know, we, we get so full that we have absolutely no appetite, right? There's no appetite there. And I think that's what happens in the church, too. With you and I as a church, we get, we get like, oh, we got filled, we're full, we're good, we got this routine, it's awesome, we've changed a, 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 we turned a page in our book, we're on the right track, and we're so full we hit cruise control, but we have now no appetite. You and I don't come to church empty anymore, we don't go to the Word of God empty anymore. We don't go to, to God's people empty anymore because we're filled up with our routine and our tradition. And there's no more room for the Spirit to move in and amongst us, right? That's what happens when, when we go to die. We, we get so full. So we need to be ready. We need to be like that, like that you're doing the, the pre-Thanksgiving warm-up is what we ought to be. Like I'm going to be starving myself for Thanksgiving Day. I want to be so hungry when I sit down at that table that I'm just going to enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? That's probably gluttony and probably wrong, too. But we need to get an appetite. These people have lost their appetite. Have you lost your appetite? That's the question I have. Write it down. Have I lost my appetite? Have I lost my appetite for God's Word? Am I hungry for that? Can I just, I just can't wait to have more. I don't want to leave. I'm just so hungry for it. Have you lost your appetite? Have you lost your appetite for fellowship with God's people? Have you lost your appetite to worship and sing songs to God and, and to hear songs sung about God and, and to let that swell up in your heart? Have you lost your appetite to, to for real connection, vulnerable community? That's, those are the symptoms of a dying church. A dead church is characterized by numb, inward, routine, and decay. The world starts to influence it, and, and, and what happens in that church is it becomes populated with a bunch of unredeemed people. People who don't know the joy of the Lord who came and gave his life for them. Why? Because spiritual death is always connected to unrepentant sin. Spiritual death is always connected to its cause, unrepentant sin. Paul says in Ephesians, you were dead in your sins, Colossians, you were dead in your sins, right? When we come to life, the Holy Spirit begins to produce a fruit in us, and we start to see that evidence in our lives. Uh, John writes in 1 John, we know that we have passed from death to life. So here we go. I was dead. How do we know we passed from death to life? I know you passed from death to life when we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death, right? So there's a fruit that's produced. There's a, and it's not just like, I love you. Like, no, I i want to show you i really love you i like how how can i love you today my appetite is to love you well today to serve you well today not just i just love you here's a card it's more than that and matthew jesus talks about this and he, he gives a woe woe to people he says woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites you are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, the outside of you seems righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Listen, it's not bad to have a good reputation, or be a be a good church with a good name, or have a good individual reputation, but apparently you and I can be fooled by our own reputation, right? And it's, it's possible to have a reputation that does not line up with the reality of who we are on the inside. Jesus, however, knows this, the, the reality of your spiritual condition. So what are your symptoms? What, what is your spiritual temperature? And, and the question now is, what do I do now? Well, that's number two. Here's the admonition from Jesus. Number two, the admonition, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Wake up. You know, uh, this thing going around in culture right now is like, hey, we we need to get woke, right? Woke culture is good culture. And actually, a lot of people now are saying like, yeah, you'd want to get woke. Don't you? You want to wake up. You want to see things uh, a little differently and better. And and in in culture, what they're saying is you ought to tolerate things. And Jesus has already said, don't wake up like that. Right? That's not the woke you go. But today, to those who are spiritually dead, what does he say? Wake up. This this is what Jesus wants us to do. This is how he wants us to wake up. He says, wake up, right? He says, be alert and strengthen uh, what remains, which is about to die. It's like you're, you're just hanging on by a thread. You need to wake up and do something about this. He says, for I have not found your works to be complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you're not alert, I will come like a thief and you will have no idea what hour I come upon you. By the way, that's not talking about the Lord's coming or the rapture. That's talking about judgment is going to be had. You are go- this, this church, you are going to die. So his admonition, wake up. Right? The accusation was strong against the church in Sardis. Right? But, but the diagnosis revealed uh, who, we are, or, or who the spiritually dead are and what they go do for treatment. Right? Especially, he's talking to those who still have a pulse. There, there are going to be some who there's no, there's no help, there's no hope. You, you started dead, you're still dead, you're going to die eventually. But, and if you feel that way today, there is hope for you, unless you decide to stay dead and not repent of your sin. Right? We can come to Christ for life. What is, the, what is the hope? It's spiritual strength training. It's getting over yourself, it's humbling yourself, and coming to know Christ in a personal way. Then it's those who have come to know Christ in a personal way, for you and I who feel a little maybe dead inside, or, or stagnant, or maybe overconfident about our faith. It's the rigorous rigorous remembering and rehearsing the foundational truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going back to it time and time again and letting it be preached to us and preaching it to ourselves and having others preach it to us. It's turning away from spiritual passivity. I told you earlier, like if you're it, mom, same way, wives, your kids, like we can't set things on cruise control anymore. We cannot do that. So we, we say no more cruise control. I'm going to be spiritually active and rigorous and passionate and I'm going to be engaged in this, this life of faith with Jesus. And I am going to be repentant. And I'm going to be filled with faith and faithfulness in my life. That's the decision we make. That's what he's saying. Re- strengthen what remains. And, and remember those things. Here's what not to do, right? Jesus was talking in John 5. And he says, the Father sent me and has testified about me. But you've not heard his voice at any time and you, don't, and you haven't seen the Father. You don't have his word residing in you. Because you don't believe the one he sent. So if you want to have life, if you want to wake up, if you want to remember, if you want to be renewed, if you want to be alive, it's all in Jesus. He, te- he tells them, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. But they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so you might have life. Why don't we have life? Because we don't believe, we don't see, we don't repent. We, we are unwilling to come to him in john 6 the next chapter he says don't work for the food that perishes i shared this last week this is what we're doing when we're just going through the motions we're working for the food that perishes it is not going to last and endure but he says work though for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you right we need more jesus not more programs we need more jesus and more time with jesus not more cruise control We need more intentionality and passion and vigorous faith. Not more tradition and going through the motions. You said, you need me. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that came down from heaven so that everyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. Jesus gave himself for you. Jesus gave himself for me that you and I could have life. We must partake of him, and we must come into fellowship with Christ. It's not about going through the motions. It's, it's about coming to him hungry, empty, with an appetite that only he can satisfy. I want to tell a quick story. A quick story. In Luke 15, there's a story of the prodigal son. Right, this is the son who came to the father and said, Give me my share of the estate. I wish you were dead. And he did the shameful thing, and gave him his share of the estate, and sent him on his way with his blessing. and Go, go, go ahead. And he went out, and what did he do? He squandered his in, in, uh, inheritance right on on reckless living. And he and he got he got out. He was out of money, and he was he was longing right to just to eat the pods the pigs were eating. And, and we'll pick it up in the scripture in verse 17 of, of chapter 15. He says, when he came to his senses, so he's he's chasing after food. That perishes, right? He has the wrong appetite for the wrong things. He's stuffing himself. There's no room for anything else. He's longing for that. He, and, and then what? When he comes to his senses, he woke up. He said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough, enough food? And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll get up. I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. See that repentant faith? I've sinned against you and in your sight. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. saying you know i would rather be a servant in my father's kingdom than even be a son because because they have it way better than i than i ever thought i could have it with all of my inheritance the food that i worked for was food that perishes this is food that lasts for life he woke up he came to his senses he knew that he couldn't laugh because the food he was partaking in was empty and would also perish so what does this look like for you and i how do we get to that point? It's a heart change, right? It's a heart change. And Philippians, Paul says, I, everything that I counted as a gain. So any of these traditions, or any of these things you set up, these routines, the things that become apathetic, this stuff, uh, any of that, you consider a loss. See, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I, I may bring it back and after, if Jesus wants that, but right now I'm pushing it aside and I'm going to consider everything a loss because of Christ. More than that, he says, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value. Okay, huge phrase there, right? Surpassing value, the great value, the biggest value. So I'm going to consider all of this stuff a loss. All my apathy, all my tradition, all my numbness or going through the motions, a loss because there's something more valuable. What is it compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord? When you are full of the world, there's no more room for knowing Christ. When you are full of yourself, there's no more room for knowing Christ. When you are full of tradition and rules and, and, and going through the motions, there is no more room for knowing Christ. We need to consider it lost, so we would get that value of knowing Christ Jesus. Jeff read earlier out of Psalm 51, and, and I'm going to read some of it. David says this, that this is what we should value. And he valued it. He went to the Lord. He knew his sin. He knew his apathy. He knew his passivity. He knew what he had done. He says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. God's faithful love is of surpassing value. It's a treasure. Right? According to your abundant compassion. His abundant compassion is of great value. He says, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Listen, for some of you, you have never gone to God and asked him to cleanse you of your sin. You need to do that. You need to get right with Jesus. Your sin has separated you from God, not only now, but for eternity. But God, who's rich in love, sent Jesus, to, his son, his begotten God of God, to die on a cross to take your penalty for your sin. That if you would confess your sin, and you turn to him, and, and turn to him hungry, he would fill you up. He would forgive you. He'd wipe you clean. You start a new relationship with him. For, for others who have done that, you, you need to go and repent right? You need to repent of your repentance, or, or your fake repentance, or your traditions, because there are times in our life we, we get that routine and set it up in, in, uh, on top of that, on top of Jesus, say, no, it's not, it's more important. No, the surpassing value is knowing Christ, and being forgiven, and walking in the forgiveness that He offers. David goes on, he says, God, create a clean heart in me, and renew a, a, a right spirit, or a steadfast spirit within me. Don't Don't banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. See, this is what comes next. When we we set everything else aside as a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, when we repent of our sin and find ourselves in forgiveness and in a right relationship with Christ, which is what we should value, this is what comes next. We have life and we have joy. And we really live it. We talk about it. We share about it. Not just in reputation, but in actual face-to-face conversation. It's so important for us to do that. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Finally, number three, here's the approval. He did give an approval. It's here kind of hidden in the end. There is a promise for God's remnant. This is the approval. There is a promise for God's remnant. Verses four through six of Revelation 3. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. But take heart, church. I, I think the church should. As, as, as this church heard this letter, they should have been shell-shocked. But those who were standing firm, those who said, yeah, I've been saying that, I, I've been thinking that, I've been feeling that about our church. We need, to, we need to do something about this. He's saying, take heart. You have a few people who have not defiled their clothes. There he brings up the clothes, right? This is a place of, of garments. Saying there, you, A lot of you have defiled garments, he says, but there are some that don't, and they will walk with me in white, pure garments, right, because they're worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers, those same people, will be dressed in white clothes, and will ne- I'll never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. that anyone has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Sardis, again, was known for this manufacturing of garments, so they're you're, they're talking their language, and, and they're saying, you, you need to be purified. You need to be cleansed. You need to have white clothes on. And, and we think we are good, right? And, and there's a parable uh, of the sower and the seed. Remember, the seed was spread out on different types of soil. Some among the hard path soil where it couldn't get in. Some was among the rocks, couldn't go deep. Some was among the thorns where it was choked out by the weeds and the, th- and the thorns. And then some fell on good soil. I think some of us can say, hey, you know, my soil is just a little weedy today. Listen, if you're not the good soil, you're dead soil. The, God, there will be no fruit produced from the seed that falls in rocky, thorny, or on the path. Only seed that's going to produce fruit is in the good soil. So there's a promise of the fruit that will, that will bear from good soil. The promise is this. The seed that fell on the good ground, they're the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by endure, and by enduring produce a fruit. We hold on to the Word of God. We, we say, it's, it's His Word. I want, I want that. My appetite is for His Word. My appetite is for His Spirit to produce a fruit in me. And those who have life are in the book of life. That's what He promises here too, right? Like, you're, you're going to overcome, and, I, and you'll never be erased out of the book of life. There's a bunch of takes here. One, one take that is reasonable, I think, is that there's this book of life, and every name is in it. Then there's the Lamb's book of life, and not every name's in it. The book of life is there. It's everyone who has life. And he's saying, repent, repent, come to me so you can be in it. Because if you don't, you're not going to be in that book. That day when when he opens the Lamb's book of life, I want my name to be there. This isn't one of those things like, hey, you need to shape up or I'm going to erase your name. Right? And if you don't shape up, I'll erase it. But then once you shape up again, I'll add it back. Jesus is not up there with a pencil and eraser for the whole humanity. In and out. Okay, well, you're on today. Oh, are you in the book? No, you're not there today. Here's what you can do. Uh, this is not this kind of teaching. You want to be in the Lamb's book of life? The one who conquers is the one who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Repents of their sin and says, God, you're my everything. My appetite for everything else is, is nothing. I, I consider it all a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he says those, those are genuine. That's real and, and he will be the one that helps you endure. And you will be the good fruit producing a good soil and you will be in the book. What does that look like? It's the finishing of our story of the prodigal son. The son comes back home, and the father sees him. He runs out there. He tells his servants, quick, and he gives them a big hug. He says, bring out the best robe. Well, you know what he's saying? Bring out my robe. That's what the father does for you and me. When we come repentantly, we come hungry, we come seek him and, 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 and find him, and he, he comes to us, doesn't he? And he takes his robe and wraps it around us. Why are their, their garments white and clean? Not because of them. Because of Jesus. So bring, uh, bring out the robe and put it on. and Bring my ring and put it on his fingers and sandals on his feet. And then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Why? Because this son of mine was dead. And what? He's alive again. He's back to life. He was dead, but now he's alive. Right? Let's feast. Let's celebrate. He was lost and found, so they began to celebrate. Now, remember the older son? This is the older son. If you want to look at a church of Sardis, there were some prodigals, some. It said there were a few here, but most of them were like the other brother. They were working and toiling and had a reputation for doing good, but they were still dead. And what's the attitude that those people have? Maybe you have this one. The older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and questioned what these things meant. Your brother's back here, he told them, and your father has— has slaughtered the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. Then he became angry. You see, those who have a reputation of being good, of doing good, and ha- having good works, you'll be angry. You'll be angry when, when something amazing of surpassing value happens that you weren't a part of, that you didn't get to benefit from. Because you put in all that time and all that effort, you thought you were doing what you should have done, but you weren't. You became angry. He didn't want to go in, so his father his father came out. That's a, that's a promise, too. The father is still pursuing you. You might be angry. You might be in your, stuck in your ways, but the father's pursuing you. He came out and he pleaded with him, but he replied to his father. Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours goes off and squanders Uh, squanders his living with prostitutes. I'm trying to find my place. He replied, but when the son of yours uh, came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you've slaughtered a fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. He said, it's right here. You, You know what the writing on the wall is here? But you're too stuffed from the feast you already feasted on to benefit from what the Father wants to give you. Everything I have Is yours, But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. It's an amazing, amazing promise. This is what it is during to the end. This is what it is to be a child of God, to be clothed in his robe of white and purity. And we should find that of surpassing value. The admonition or the approval here is, is that there's a promise for God's remnant. There's a promise to the one who conquers. There's a promise for you and I who would believe the promises of God there's a celebration in that and and that that this feast this righteousness is is all that we need and it will completely satisfy i want to give you a promise here too from philippians my last passage today philippians 1 we think about this we say well am i dead am i not dead am i hungry am i not am i on cruise control all kinds of things going on I, i would just say take one step take the cruise control off and start to live your life in repentant faith and and loving Jesus, and valuing Him above everything else. And then hold on to this promise. Paul says, I am sure of this, that He who started a good work in you, He who started a good work in you, you took the cruise control off, you got hungry, you're you're, you're running down, you're like, I don't know what to do next, God, I'm not sure what's going to happen, I've never done this before. He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what we trust. And I, I believe that that, living faith in that, that he's going to do the work, and he's doing the work in our church, and he's doing the work through us individually and collectively as a church, that he who started that work, he'll be faithful to complete it. If we stay hungry, if we stay humble, if we don't, we don't get so caught up in tradition and, and how it's always been and just cruise control, if we just would humble ourselves and say, God, I, I'm going to let you continue it on, carry it on, I, I, I value knowing Christ more. He will do that. And we, we will be alive. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your grace. And God, as we look at grace today, even uh, we know that it's not a grace that just tolerates all kinds of sin. It's a grace that's given to us because of sin, because of the wages of sin father as we looked at this text today i think in in my heart and probably many here in this room there there's conviction there's there's questions there's maybe some doubt that has risen lord about the status of our spiritual condition maybe we've taken our spiritual temperature lord and we're we're sick or there's some decay there god help us to to run to you help us to repent of our thinking of our ways god of of our traditions let us be hungry for and, and value being forgiven and knowing Christ Jesus above all else. And, God, we, we want to be led by your Spirit. We want to be guided by your Spirit. God, we, we, in fact, want you to drive our lives. So, God, we, we will entrust you who has who started a work in us to be faithful to complete it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.